ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malvin in Highland Park, New Jersey, the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shimmet. Joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chesler, Salman Shekhtar Day School, Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski from a room in New York City, from somewhere in New York City, Chesed. It's great to see you. We have an amazing Parsha. This Parsha gives us some of the, the real important commandments of living in the land, you come to the land, and of course we, you know, these these are commandments that are issued at Mount Sinai, and they deal with the land, and they take us into the cycle of the land. You are going to count seven years. Sheshanim tizra sadecha. Six years you may sow your field. Six years you may prune your vineyard. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest. So let's take a second to talk about the cycles and how this works and what the purpose of these commandments are, what kinds of questions the Torah is trying to answer. And then we have some meaty material that is going to really perplex us, challenge us. Jeremy, you want to start with the cycles of the land and the, the agricultural life of Israel. Here we are at the end of uh, Parshat. Uh, uh, we're at the end of Sefer Vayikra, and we're looking towards getting ready to enter the land. Um, and so a set of uh, laws are created for land ownership, um, but uh, it's a particular relationship to the land that both has a kind of a spiritual connection and a social, economic, political connection. Uh, everything in the Torah, you know, has got a cycle of seven, right? There's you know, seven days of creation, six days of creation, the seventh day of rest, and six days of work in the week and the seventh day rest. And the same thing applies to the land, is that you're supposed to work the land and get produce for six years. And then there is a, a time of lying fallow for a whole year in which you're not supposed to work the land. And then you go through a seven times that of 49 years of seven cycles. And then in the 50th year, there's a macro jubilee in which there's two full years of letting, letting the land rest. And part of that is about... Um, having the appropriate uh, relationship to the land. Uh, we don't, you know, we're not supposed to just like wring every last penny of profit out of it. You have a respect for it in a sense, you know, you might you might think that the people don't really own the land. You are, you are like sojourners with me in this land. And so there's a, there's a kind of a spiritual relationship that comes with letting the land rest. In addition, there's a huge element in, um, economic relationship, which is to say that every every seven years, there aren't any landowners, and there aren't any tenants, everybody is equal. And every 50th year, all the people who have been slaves get get sold free. Even if you went through that process of, you know, boring through your ear and say you want to be a slave for the rest of your time, uh, you go free in the Jubilee. And people who've grown poor and had to sell off their land, and there's no kind of economic stability in the ancient world, like land ownership, they, they're poor, they had to sell off their land, they all get it back. 
and a second economic chance every 50th year in the Jubilee. So you have, you have the institutions here, which I think are oriented towards your personal cycles of work and rest, but also social and economic, make sure that inequality doesn't get out of control and people who've, who've been, you know, knocked around a little bit, hard knock life, um, they get a second chance at economic stability as well. It's an interesting concept, you know, that everything goes through these cycles of reset, the seven-year cycle, which resets the land, and the 50-year cycle, which, which in a sense, resets the entire economy. I mean, you know, we're going through a bit of, a, a bit of economic upheaval now with the stock market is, is crazy and, and inflation is, is out of control. In a way, you know, these, these economic forces are, are so chaotic. And here, I think the Torah is trying to impose a certain kind of order over what could, in fact, become a rather chaotic and orderless uh, system. I don't know, Barry, you want to have any, any reflection on, on this? Sure. It reminds me very much of medieval history, where there was a concentration of land in the great landowners, and the people that worked the land became almost enslaved. You know, we refer to them as serfs um, because their status was not much better than a slave. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of curiosities about both the sabbatical year as it's described here. You also have descriptions in Sefer Devarim and Sefer Shmot and the Jubilee year because it's sort of hard to figure out what exactly the Jubilee year is because if you're not going to grow anything for the 49th year, which is the seventh, sabbatical cycle, and again, not in the 50th year, you're not going to get any crops for another year after that, because as we know, you don't just plant and grow in a week. It takes an entire season to prepare the land again. But I think what there's a leveling here, um, not just of the land, but of our relationship with the land, because the Torah's phrasing is that when you rest on the seventh year, the Jubilee year, it's going to be for food for you and for everyone else. So a farmer, especially at this time in history, is mostly growing crops for himself. I assume most of the farmers were male, but him or herself. And in the Jubilee year, that land has to be shared. The produce of the land has to be shared with everyone. The farmer has no more claim on his land than does the neighbor. And I think that the point here is to reinforce over and over again that the land does not belong to us, but we belong to the land. And the land is our master, as it were, and we serve it in the same way that we serve God. Okay, so and, and we are going to be a community on the land. And one of the things that we need to point out here is that, that the Torah then wants to focus on the human relationships and the relationships that it will exist between individuals on the land. And, you know, directly after these rules concerning the agricultural cycles, we have this a phrase that occurs at least three times here, v'chi yamuch achicha, ki yamuch achicha. If your kinsman is in straits, that's how uh, the JPS translates it. But, you know, achicha, has, uh, is a powerful word. Uh, you know, achicha is your brother. They translate as your kings, kinsman. In Israel today, it's slang for a bro. You know, achi, achi, you know, you, 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 and if you're a stranger, it's, it's, there's a, an implied intimacy, even if you're a stranger, because we're, we're kind of related to each other. 
as as Jews. But I want to speak to this here, speak to just the word achicha, and then take us to the 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 challenging moment, which we will we will discuss in a second, which is you know when when the the expression of kinship, uh, the value of kinship collides with your own life. So Jeremy, take take us to achicha. achicha. Okay, so we we have you know. Um... Uh, I, I don't remember exactly the locution in um, Exodus where some of the sabbatical material is in there, but I, I do remember that it, it isn't the same as Achicha, and I think that the that that uh, repetition of whether it's it's this kin's word or you know like bro brother we're, we're close we're tight. Vaikra is trying to, um, I think, effectively, I think not just trying to, I think successfully, has a rhetoric of, of kinship and solidarity in the face of poverty. So the people who are growing poor, um, they are uh, suffering. You know who they are? They're not strangers. They're your family. They may not be literally your immediate family, but they are family. I think that we, you know, we have a vast, you know, 375 million Americans or whatever. It's hard for us to feel that way. I live in New York City. Uh, there's a lot of poverty all around. It's hard to feel that way in New York City. But what the Torah is trying to to cultivate for, for ancient Israel is that sense that all the poor people around you um, who have to sell off their land, who might have to sell themselves into slavery, who might have to sell themselves into slavery to non-Israelites, you have got to come through for them um, so that they can uh, they can they can live and there's a series of them uh, you know it's it's like uh, if, if if they have to sell off their land you're going to buy it back from them and that should and that should you know take 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 care of it or they might have to sell off their their land in the city and and you're going to come through for them and that should take care of it but if that doesn't take care of it um, you know he's growing poor he's growing poor you got to give him his his, his He's suffering. Mata yado imach. His hand is wavering. You got to pick him up strong. You got to give him a job so that he can, that he can, um, uh, you got to give him a loan so that he can uh, uh, um, maintain himself economically and you can't take any interest. Um, and then if the person has to be, uh, has to even sell themselves into slavery, I mean, I happen to be in 2539 here. The person is sold to you as an indentured servant. You can't treat them like a slave. You have to treat them like a someone who's, who's uh, um, you know, got a respectful, dignified, uh, di- dignified job. Um, so all these cases are about... Uh, um, helping a person who's suffering economically all the measures that will be necessary to uh, to strengthen them such that they can live in a dignified independent uh, way so in other words the 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 torah is trying to educate us instruct us to this um, value of mutual responsibility that that we are i mean it is this an answer to ashomarachi anochi is this is this Harking back to Genesis, am I my brother's keeper? Well, it's interesting because in Genesis, we have a story about a shepherd and a farmer. And here in Vayikra, we're talking about two farmers. 
And I think it's important to keep that in mind because I think the emphasis on the achicha is to remind you as the, the farmer of your land that the land you're farming is also your brother's land because it's a family farm. And you got your cut when presumably when your father died and your brother got his. And the fact that you are doing well now and your brother is not doing well is not really a matter of your hard work and the other's laziness. It's a matter of happenstance. It could have been you that needed help and your brother who would have to provide it for you. And, you know, one of the great images of the land in the Bible is that the land is eternal. It is close to God in that respect. Our tenure on the land is temporary because our lives are temporary. And too often, I think, and I think part of the message of the Torah here is that we think that our lives are what's permanent and the land under our feet is what is temporary and changing. All right. So I want to, I want to jump off from, from this uh, context to a context in which this phrase, imach, so that your brother will live with you. So this becomes um, a punchline, if we will, of um, a rather important rabbinic debate uh, the rabbinic debate, which occurs on um, page 62, 62a of Tractate Bava Metzia. It's a debate between Rabbi Akiva and Ben Petora. We know a little bit about Rabbi Akiva. We don't know as much about Ben Petora, But you're talking about two people who walk in the desert, and they have one kiton shalmayim, one canteen, one flask of water, and there's only enough water in the in the flask for one of them to survive if the two drink it they will die uh, so the debate pick up the debate from there rabbi kamenovsky so this is you know our, our listeners may be familiar uh there's a philosopher called judith jarvis thompson and she's she she's like a, an author of these trolley problems right you, you have a situation where where uh there's an out of control trolley. People may be familiar. It, it played a big role in the the show uh, with Ted Danson, um, uh, The Good Place. Uh, they the uh, the character uh, played by Kristen Bell is she's she's a bad person and she's been sent to the other world and she's getting a moral education. And so it raises the problem of you know there's a certain number of people who are the, the trolley problem in the in the way it's usually talked about. The trolley's out of control. It's going to run over five people and kill kill five people. But if you could throw the switch, those five people will be saved. But you'll throw the switch, you'll tr- realign the track, and the trolley will now run to another track, which will kill one person who is currently out of harm's way. So you save the five people who are who are in mortal risk, but you kill the one person who is currently, you know, safe. And people debate about, you know, it's, it's obviously better that one person die than five, but the action that you would take that would materially advance the death of somebody, that, that might be wrong too. So we can talk about all of those some other time, but this is, this is like a Talmudic version. You have the two people, the one person possesses the canteen. That We don't know why that one person possesses the canteen. Was that one person planful, thoughtful, protected the water? Did the, did the person who doesn't have the canteen were they just like, you know, they didn't do a good job of planning? Did they drink it all thirstily the first hour? 
did a lion come along and chase them and he dropped the canteen? We don't know why he doesn't have the canteen, but one guy has the canteen. It's the fact of the case. The fact of the case is that that Ruvain has the canteen and Shimon does not have the canteen. And if they share it, they will be in solidarity to each other until the last minute of their lives. And they right, so the, I have the Hebrew. Im shotin shnehem metin. If they both share it, they will both die, but they will die in solidarity. Im echad mehen magia But if the person who possesses the canteen manages that water, they will re- he will reach that next town, okay. having left the other person behind. And... And you know, we'll we'll manage the water resources and survive. Yashikayach for him. Exactly. And then it says Darash Ben Petora Mutav Shiishtu Shnehem Viamutu. Bar Petora says it's better that they share the water and both die. And it says Velo, right? What's next? Right. And then Veal Yerae Yere Echad Mehem Bemitatoshalachavero. And Bar Petora says essentially, it would be inhuman. For you to sit there and watch your friend die of thirst and do nothing, you you would be diminished as a person if your comrade said, ah, 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 "I'm dying of thirst, help me, please," and you said, "Sorry, buddy, should have brought another canteen." Like that's just inhuman. And Barbara says, "It's you just can't you just can't diminish your own humanity that way. Better you should die in solidarity together." And then it says, Rabbi Akiva, Your brother Rabbi Akiva comes along and says, I got a verse which says, no. That your life, the point of all these anti-poverty measures is that you should be generous, you should give tzedakah, you should rescue your, your comrades when they're in economic trouble, you should buy back their land, um, you should give them interest-free loans so that they live with you. You have to be alive to help anybody live with you. So his position is, you know, you, you got to protect your own life and then all the other good things that you may do as a member of society, all the other vote that you may do as a worshipful person, all the other acts of tzedakah, they, 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 become, per, they become permissible, theoretical, uh, practical, if you survive it. If you don't survive, you're not going to do anything good. So, so Rabbi Akiva's like, no, hang in there, get to the next town, and, and you might have to let your friend, watch your friend die of thirst. It's, it's so difficult to, to, to contemplate this, you know, and, and, we we don't have the the ultimate frame of reference where we we have had experience where we need to give up our lives or or we need to watch endure someone suffering like this. I, I'm wondering, you know, the 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 dilemma is posed in such a way that we don't we don't get to see the next scene. And and if we were to go ahead with the next scene, it's like so the the person who has the canteen survives. And my question is, how does he live with himself, right? How, how is it possible to live with yourself when, yes, you know, according to Rabbi Akiva, it's your water, you take the water, but but how do you live with yourself as a human being after that? And and is, you know, what other dilemmas come out of this? Or, or you know, does this, does this, does this satisfy an impulse of altruism or, or even martyrdom here? And, and how do we focus on this? How do we, 
how do we reflect on this uh, this kind of situation? If, if the dominant theme here is Chayecha Kodmin, your life is far, I I can get that. You have to save yourself. I think about that. You know, my example of that is you know the announcement comes on before you take off, and so the the the, the flight attendant says. If we lose oxygen in the in the cabin, put the mask on yourself and then put it on the person seated next to you. So I kind of relate to this as, you know, save yourself first because, you know, you will be needed to save another person. I don't know. Barry, you want to, you, 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 you kind of. Yeah, it's, as you well say, it is a, a difficult story. I find Barbatora's argument to be perplexing. Because the assumption seems to be if they both drink, they will die at the exact same time, not facing each other, because otherwise they would each see the death of the other. And I find that troubling as well. And I think that part of the answer is the expectation that is that the person who is going with the water is going to keep going. And at some point, the person without the water is going to fall by the wayside. Not necessarily that he is going to minister to the person who's dying. That's one way to read it. And I think the way that you live with yourself ultimately is you rely on human resilience. I think that we all, or most of us, have within us a tremendous drive to live. And we can assimilate all sorts of things, sometimes in healthy and sometimes in unhealthy ways, that enable us to live through terrible situations. So would you would you write the story, the next chapter of this as, and so the guy took the water, the, the person who owned the canteen, he drank the water, and then he, he, he trekked, you know, however many kilometers, miles it needed to, to trek. He was able to secure a supply of water and he went back to his friend with, with a supply of water to save him and, does he save him? Never. I don't know that he does because, uh, you know, in life we often, you know, our best efforts are not always rewarded in the way that we wish. Okay. But I think that, you know, one possibility is that the second person's life has a claim on the survivor. Yeah. And perhaps he dedicates his life in some meaningful way okay. to the person okay. who dies. So hold that for a second because I want, and Jeremy, I don't know if you had a, if you had a reaction to that, but, but somehow... I, I feel like this collides with the altruistic spirit, or it collides, you know, altruism would be, let's both drink it and we'll, we'll die. And, and, you know, Barry, you have them, you know, not looking at each other. Maybe maybe it's like they're holding on to each other and they, they, they're both, you know, they're, they're not leaving each other. They, this is, this is hero, there's heroism in Barbatora. This is, this is, you know, 9-11, the guy who stays in the tower with the guy in the wheelchair, I'm not going to let you go, I'm not going to let you die alone. And, and he's saying, no, no, you need to save yourself, you need to save yourself. This, there's, yeah. I mean, there's something very ultimate about this, no? Perhaps. There's, the late President Reagan used to tell a story related to this, and um, maybe it sheds some light on it. And so in President Reagan's story, there's a, a bomber that is hit by enemy fire, and the tail gunner is the 20-year-old kid, and um, he's mortally wounded. And the pilot or the captain tells him he won't let him die alone. And so presumably the sh- plane crashes and they all die. And, you know, obviously President Reagan, who was a gifted storyteller, 
told it a lot better than I just did. But what President Reagan was never able to explain is if everyone dies on the plane, how did he hear the story? <laughs> and it's in a movie. <laughs> but the light that it sheds is that sometimes we create a fictional world in order to make sense of our real world, as not, President yeah, Reagan sometimes. did. Yeah. And I think that, you know, perhaps in this case, the best we could do is figure out what both Rabbi Akiva and Barbara Torah are actually saying. Because I think the way that Jeremy represented Barbara Torah, his position and the words that he chooses don't necessarily make sense. I don't know that it's altruistic to let two people die when only one is necessary. So, so what you're saying, it can't, be, it can't quite be, you're, you're right about the word altruism in this case, because um, it's not for the sake of your fellow, or at least it's, it's, uh, it, 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 because if two people are going to die, it's funny to talk about this as altruistic. It is, however, um, you can still think of how you can talk about it as, as a moral triumph. And Elliot used the word heroism, which I think is, is true. We're all going to die. And let's hope that we, you know, die, um, amidst acts of kindness and care and love. And I think Barbara is is saying that the, it, would, it would diminish you as a person to be so, um, you know, to be so uh, um, cruel about it. Uh, and, I, and I do find this, this intense. I mean, you know, we, we spoke a little bit before we started recording about um, we've all heard many stories about people in the Shoah uh, under the, the most extreme situations who shared their food, right? Who, who were not ruthless. I mean, actually uh, in, in mouse, I remember the uh, mouse says, you know, or maybe this is Victor Frankl. Either way, it's, uh, I think it's Victor Frankl oh, actually said, um, said, you know, that Auschwitz, that people, you know, manifested the most extreme brutality and selfishness and the most, giving generous, you know, the heights that they rose to. I think that Rabbi Akiva is, there's a kind of a, uh, not, I don't mean that he's being, you know, emotionally, you know, dead or anything. There's a, there's a, that's what consequentialism is. That's what utilitarianism is as a philosophy. It's to make a calculation. And he makes the calculation that it's better for one person to die than two people to die. But there is something you know, I think tremendously moving to think about those people in Auschwitz or in the ghettos that shared their food, even at risk to their own survival, that those are acts of, of greatness, moral greatness. And if they both died, you would say it was heroic and tragic. And and that's what I think Barbara is going for, the heroic okay. and the tragic. Right. So what I would add to what you said, so I think it's fair to say, Jeremy, that you see Barbara act uh, as one of ennobling. It makes a, a better person of us for both of the people to die. But I think my point would be is that that's only true in a story. Because if, in fact, they both died, we would have no story about the two people. And if they were the last two people, that would be the end of the world. And I think that sometimes we have to think about that as well, that there are, you know, our task, as it were, is to live 
a meaningful life. And in order to do that, we have to live. That so has what, to be me, our choice. Let me ask you this question, okay? Because maybe there's a resolution, which is, you know, I have the water. Okay, I'll, I'll be the altruistic person here. I have the water, and 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 Rabbi Akiva has given me permission to drink it based on the text. Your life takes precedence. So I say, okay, I have the water, but out of my own autonomy, I hereby give you the water, and 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 it. I want you to live. I will. I will. I will lay down my life for you. Okay. So this is the ultimate altruism, which is. I know I, I know I have the right to the water. I know it's mine, but I freely give it to you, and therefore you will survive. And if it happens that you get to a town, you know, twenty kilometers from here, and, and bring back, you know, a whole, you know, uh, jerry can, great. If not, I know I will have saved your life. I don't. I don't think that. I think that. Um, first of all, I'm quite sure. That each of the each of the three of us, if we and any of our four children Indeed. were the other person, Absolutely. for sure you give the kid. That's not even a question. For just yeah, not even a, a blink of an eye. Not even a blink of an eye. But I think in the universe of Jewish normativity, I don't think you'd be allowed to do that because. Who can, it's not normativity. It's a, I, I, I've made a declaration. I'm sitting. I'm, I'm, I'm with my child. I give you the water. No, 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 no. The kids. Uh, the kids. Fine. <laughs> now, now, now it's not the kids. Now it's just Yanko. Oh, it's just you and me. <laughs> it's just, it's just well, you we're and me. we're Yanko, Jeremy. <laughs> you and I are both. <laughs> it's, it's you and me and you and me and Moish. And um, I, I don't, I don't think that if it was, if it was just Moish. Or even if it was Einstein, or even if it was you know whoever, um, that 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 would be like suicide, and it wouldn't be. You know, there was a movie, by the way. I many of you, many of our many listeners may remember this a movie called Into the Void, about a mountain climbing accident. Do you guys remember this mountain climbing accident? The wild. The one, or guy, the the one guy. Yeah. Is, this was this was a exceptional movie because it it interspersed fictionalized representations and interviews with the real people. But this is a true Barpatora Rabbi Akiva story. Um, two guys are mountain climbing in the Andes and one guy is sort of serving as the, as the anchor and um, the, the other guy, uh, some sort of accident happens, an avalanche or whatever it happens. And the, the, one, the one climber is, is stuck in a crevasse he cannot touch the sides and the person who's acting as the anchor cannot, there's nothing that he can do with the rope to adjust where this person is. So this person, the, the two of them are stuck. The one guy who's sort of the base, the other guy who's floating in the void attached by a rope. It's like, a like it goes on for three days or whatever it is. And it is evident that there is no other option. If they both stay there, they will both die. Um, and if he cuts the rope, if the guy who is the base cuts the rope, the other person will fall to his death, but he will be able to leave. So he, in fact, does this. And he cuts the rope. And he does go back to civilization and survives, wrapped with guilt. The guy who was floating in the void falls to the bottom of the crevasse, but does not die. He breaks his legs, but he doesn't die. 
and in fact crawls out of the mountain and makes it back to civilization. And part of the, the theme of this movie is that the guy who cut the rope and saved himself at what he thought was the fatal expense of his, of his friend uh, was racked with guilt. And the mountain climbing community said you did the wrong thing. But the other guy who was left for dead but did not die, made it back, said you did the absolute right thing. This was the only thing you could have done. And even though, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked for my benefit, although we, we both survived, uh, you did the right thing. And he tried to assuage his friend's guilt, but I think pretty much unsuccessfully. Sure, sure. How do you, I mean, even, even, even though the guy's alive, I mean, that's a, you, you need a lot of therapy for that. Barry, last word, and we got to go. <laughs> I, I would agree. A lot of therapy is in order. <laughs> this, well, look, the Parsha doesn't deal with all this guilt, but, it, but it's, it's fascinating for us to, to, to use the, these words and the, the, that classic debate as a springboard for a larger conversation about the values of life, altruism, sacrifice, um, and what really matters. And, and what does it mean to, to, to live with yourself and to live in your community, to live with your kinsman, your brother? So I guess the final word would be is that what the Parsha is teaching us is that we are all family and we must yeah. treat each other accordingly. Elliot, you said this before. I want to just, you know, bang on this cowbell. Uh, it, it, it really does echo very strongly that Hashomer Achianochi, back at the beginning of the Torah, Kayan renounces responsibility for his brother, but this Parsha is bang, 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 bang. Everybody is responsible for everybody else. You are all kinsfolk and you have to, to come through for each other in emergencies and you are absolutely responsible for your kinsfolks' lives. What a great answer. What a great answer to the first question of, well, the second question of the Torah. And with that, we will conclude with so great. We thank you for watching and listening to our amazing Parsha Talk, and we hope that you'll join us again on the next edition. So we want to say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.